0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Ragnarsson Invest Podcast. Our today's guest is Philip von Have from Blue Farm. Philip, welcome. It's fantastic to have you here and uh, deep dive into so many cool topics uh, related to Blue Farm. Um, it would be great if you could maybe explain in a couple of words what Blue Farm is uh, as a good uh, intro to, to the further conversation.
1: Yeah. Good morning, guys. I'm really excited to be here. And uh, at yeah, Blue Farm, we developed the first powderized oat milk. The idea behind this is pretty simple. Uh, plant drinks consist of 90% of water with a bit of plant. And we sell you only the actual plant. So in our case, that's fermented oats. And by doing that, we can save significant packaging waste because uh, yeah, we have less volume that we ship through the world. Uh, we also save significant transport emissions. So at the end of the day, it's an impact case. But it's also a good product for our customers because uh, it has no additives. It's a really clean label product. And uh, so far the, the traction has been really good.
0: Uh, I totally love how you like focused on impact describing your product. But maybe before we go into the impact part, let's start with the product. Um, as every single customer that goes into a shop knows, uh, there's like a lot of different brands, a lot of different uh, similar products when it comes to oat milk. What was your thinking when you initially started uh, okay, oat milk? We have a different version of it, the powder form, so it's quite distinctive characteristic. But I can imagine trying to figure it out how to compete in such an overcrowded market uh, was kind of a challenge. And uh, what was your initial thinking and how it uh, evolved uh, in time?
1: Yeah, exactly. We didn't want to build just another oat milk brand because there's so many out there, and they're all great. But, um, yeah, I, I had this idea one day where I thought, uh, look, it's just water and, and plants. So why do we actually ship the water? It doesn't really make sense to me. And at the end of the day, that's something we realize with many customers. Uh, the moment it makes click, uh, they're really excited about the product. And uh, I think at the end of the day, for us, it's more an educational topic that we get this message across. Plant milk is just a bit of plant with a lot of water. Uh, so we just ship uh, ship the plant base. And um, it's really exciting to um, market a product that in the first moment is perceived as maybe a bit uh, less qualitative. Well, um, yeah, if you, if you tell people we sell oat milk powder, they think, oh, it's an instant product. It can't be as good. At the end of the day, when people try it, they're really amazed by how good it tastes. And uh, I'm, I'm actually really excited about this challenge to, to market a product that in the first moment is perceived yeah less good, and in the end, people are excited about it.
2: For for being uh, f- forgive me for being ignorant, but I have no clue about cooking. And maybe just think to clarify for complete rookies in in the cooking space. Is the fact that the product is powder is a powder um, some sort of does it have like a good use case for it, or eventually everyone is going to add some water, and it doesn't really matter if you have a typical oat milk or or a powder version that's
1: actually a very interesting aspect of our product thanks for bringing it up Um, you you make it yourself so you're in charge so basically you can decide how much powder you use how creamy you make the milk and if you use a lot of powder you almost have sort of a cream Um, so you can use it really well for cooking for baking Uh, our customers create like the craziest recipes with it, um, many of those are actually in our, our blog and recipe book um, but yeah that's the big difference also to regular oat milk that it can just be used in so many various ways
2: so you can basically adjust the level of of creaminess by putting less or more water, but uh, this is what, what uh, your customers typically do um, What was the main factor of? Uh, that you learn that your customers are willing to buy the product as opposed to going with with a typical oat milk?
1: It's really interesting because we are a D2C brand. We have a lot of data on the shopping behavior of customers. And we do see that the impact aspect is the main criteria why people buy our product. So uh, mostly it's actually the saving waste component, even less than the CO2 or emission component. But people are really annoyed by all the drink cartons they throw away. I think we all know this moment where you, you're unsure how old the oat milk is that that's opened in your fridge and you have to throw it away like half a liter or so. And um, that's apparently a very big problem. So a lot of people are happy with Blue Form. You have eight liters of milk uh, in a tiny package. It has a shelf life of almost one year. So you almost have zero food waste and you have even less packaging waste because you don't have all those Tetra packs.
2: And did you have to educate your audience um, about the impact aspect of the product or they simply got it once they saw, okay, it's, it's powder, makes total sense, less, w- no water, so less, um, less weight, um, less CO2 emissions during transportation and so on. How was it?
1: It was actually way less, uh, education needed than what we thought. Um, we actually anticipated a lot of skepticism. Um, even when we first had the idea and pitched it to friends and family, they were like, yeah, but will people get it? Won't they be skeptic? Um, much less so so in the end yes it's an educational topic we have to educate customers of how oat milk is produced and what it consists of so mainly water but um, at the end of the day people are more excited to try something new and are curious so uh, that's something that's definitely playing in our favor
0: Uh, i'm also curious because that's that's problem that quite a lot of uh, impact or sustainable products are facing like it's quite simple to explain the benefit, impact benefits of your product to the group that is already sustainably conscious. But what about those that are only like, you know, uh, entering the space and they trying this and that? Uh, I can imagine that if you explain correctly, it's also easy to, to reach out to this group. Uh, have you been successful in that? Do you have any experience since you said you have a lot of data about your customers?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess our data is so good because in the end um, or in the beginning, it's a lot of early adopters and they're very receptive to our product. Um, at some point, we will reach a certain ceiling of all the early adopters the like real vegans or like people that live very sustainably. They've then all tried the product. So then it's the time to, to reach the next uh, stage or uh, level of communities. Um, There we do see a bit more skepticism. We've heard the wildest things people asking us. So you mix the powder with cow milk and then you have oat milk or how does it work? (laughs) So uh, that's really interesting how different the level of education is uh, in in that space. Um, But also there, like we do see that people are curious and they are willing to change their behavior to live more sustainably or even just more healthy uh, that's the thing about blue farm it's kind of drink good do good like on the one hand it doesn't have additives it's, it's a healthy product for you and at the same time you can contribute a tiny bit every morning um, by yeah, producing less waste and less emissions so uh, it's a pretty simple formula I think it resonates with a lot of people
2: what, what I find also very interesting in your case is the fact that you started uh, selling your product online as a the direct-to-consumer brand um, now you're also available in, in various supermarkets in, in Germany, but um, I think it would be really interesting to our audience and, and other founders to kind of understand the reasoning behind it. Why the strategy of going online first and then um, tackling retailers, do you think it was a good idea in, in general, knowing what you know now? Could you tell us a bit more about the story?
1: Sure. Um, So I would say in general, it's a good idea for most food startups to start D2C first um, because you own the whole experience, the whole shopping experience. You have way more ways of communicating. You can embed videos, you can explain your product, you can really build a a customer experience there Um, as opposed to retail where you just have your packaging to communicate to customers. Uh, That's the first part. Um, The second part is. Um, D2C is really what sets us apart from our competition, from like packaged oat drinks, because it's really difficult to send eight liters of actual oat milk to a customer's household. In our case, eight liters of oat milk weigh 800 grams. So that's something that we can even still fit into your mailbox. Uh, So this really sets us apart from the competition, and we wanted to double down on this fact. But in general, If you are a food founder and you're evaluating whether to go into retail or D2C, I think it's also a good way to start in D2C because you can create more desire for retail to list your product. When they see you already have some traction, let's say half a million, million in revenue online, uh, and then you approach retail, they have like less skepticism. they, They have more trust in you and more confidence to list your product. So. Um, yeah, if I had to decide whether to start in D2C again, I, I would always do it again.
0: Uh, even uh, if it comes to internationalization, you want to reach other markets, you would start with D2C first or probably something else or retail first? No, for sure.
1: Uh, we, we have sort of our playbook now. We figured it out in Germany and I think we can extrapolate it to other markets. And uh, it worked really well. Um, so it's also a very cost efficient way to test the market. If you think about entering, let's say, as a German brand, the US market and uh, you get a listing in 2000 retailers or so um, just the amount of products you have to produce, the the working capital that flows into these products that are just staying idle in some supermarkets um, as opposed to working for you in in online marketing, as it's in our case in D2C, that's uh, really not the smartest thing to do. Uh, with D2C, we could just ship a few hundred products to a fulfillment center in the U.S., uh, put some online ads um, online and then uh, see what what the data says. And um, that makes more sense than, than going all in on retail in the beginning.
2: And given the benefits of the D- D2C approach, uh, what, kind of, what kind of challenges it, it poses? Because I, I assume it's not only a great solution, but there there must be some shortcomings that, that you need to take into account to be successful in with this strategy.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, uh, in our world in 2 DTC and online marketing, you always say there's a world before iOS 14.5 and after. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, last year, I think it was May. Um, yeah, iOS the upgrade came, and uh, the the data that we got is, is just um, much uh, mm-hmm. much weaker than before. So targeting works uh, less and, and so on. So um, the days of just having a few good ads running and, and scaling to a couple of million in revenue easily, uh, those are definitely over. So you have to be way more creative. Um, we are almost like a, like a content production studio now because you need to iterate on your content. You need to test different messages. Um, and, and that makes it definitely much harder and is, is a shortcoming in a way that it's not so scalable anymore. Um, yeah at the same time i think it's it's still great because you are much closer to the customer you can learn much more from your customers you can interact with them uh, that's what we really also try to do um, the other aspect is obviously the shipping costs uh, especially if you have a product like ours where um, yeah the, the average basket value is somewhere between let's say 25 and 35 euros um, that, which is already a lot if you consider that people are just buying oat milk in, in our shop but they, they tend to buy 15, 20 liters in, in one go, which is great. Uh, which also makes complete sense with the shelf life. You just put it in, in your drawer and you're good. Um, but yeah, it's like, let's say for, for 20, 25 euro basket value, you have a shipping cost of a couple of euros. And in most cases we would try to to cover those costs for the customer to make the customer experience better. So that definitely harms your margins. And then you also, um, Invest a lot in online marketing to make the product um, more known to increase your reach. And a lot of that money goes into the pockets of um, big platforms, big players. And that That's definitely one of the shortcomings there.
0: I'm specifically curious about this interaction with customer you've mentioned. Uh, because... One of the like, holy grails of all marketing activities is to grow a very strong group of believers, so people who not only buy your product, but also spread the word uh, uh, among others and help you with a network effect. Um, being impactful, I can imagine, Definitely helps, <laughs> but uh, it's still challenging. So can you maybe shine some light on how do you approach this problem? Is there anything specific you do? Do you think it's a good moment in your like um, roadmap to, to, to build this uh, this group or it's still something that you will focus more uh, in the future?
1: No, I think every moment is a good moment for, for <laughs> doing that, for making your customers your ambassadors. And I think if you have a good product and if you're authentic and transparent, um, then people are happy to share your story uh, so that's something we always work on to have great products that people are, get excited, are getting excited about it and um, we try to be as yeah, authentic and transparent as we can be um, so that people can really resonate with us and feel connected with us and we also try really to connect with our audience um, we put a lot of love into like everything we put out there, especially our newsletter, which has a crazy opening rate, like way above market standard. Because people know, okay, it's it's not just like a like stupid generic newsletter, but there's actually something uh, in there that, that might be of interest for me. Not just like selling products or, or discount codes, but we we share about our life uh, at the office, but also about topics that are um dear to us and so um yeah you can really tell when you read one of our newsletters for example and and that's one of the many ways how we really try to connect with the customers and yeah we do see a lot of organic traffic which is word of mouth because people just share our story
2: do you have any um, specific strategy that helps you to leverage this community aspect of of your marketing activities
1: We do, Uh, we have a loyalty program, for example, um, which hasn't taken off that well yet, which is actually interesting because we see that our customers don't want a reward for sharing us. So um, they just like the product and and they they tell their friends. Um, In our loyalty program, you can earn oats, like points, loyalty points, and then exchange those for for goods and services, um, which many people don't do. Um, So either we did a really bad job on, yeah, Uh, setting up the the program or people just don't care so much about it. But um, that's one of the the aspects what we do in community building. Um, At the same time, we try to engage customers as much as possible in our product development, where we ask them, what kind of products would you like to see? How can we improve and so on? But there's still a lot we can do, I think, Um, but still, like for the moment, we really see we are very um, connected to customers. They're very engaged.
0: Um, so to maybe summarize, to, to to engage the customers and create those ambassadors, what you put uh, a strong effort is being transparent, being honest, uh, showing as much as possible of how you do stuff, and get them involved in the production, which is awesome. I think with a very simple product that everyone understands, asking questions like what to improve uh, is definitely leveraging uh, for you. Uh, that that's kind of a very simple but powerful advice, I would say. Um. Okay, so I think that's the impact part. Uh, we, we discussed that a lot uh, already, but um, I'm curious because I know from our previous conversation that impact is very strong not only in the product itself, since the product and, and, and everything around it is impactful, but you also put a lot of emphasis in other activities like marketing and business to make them impactful. For example, I know that you're a um, supporter of the concept of handprint, Uh, Maybe you can also uh, tell a little bit more about those other impactful things that you can do having this type of business you have.
1: Sure. Um, Yeah, for me personally as an entrepreneur, um, I was active in the software space before I founded Blue Farm. And I really came to this point where I realized like being active as an entrepreneur, I want to do something that has a positive impact. But unfortunately, I guess I'm not as smart as other people that build like carbon capture technologies or other crazy IPs. So I, I thought I'm, I'm probably good in building consumer products, storytelling, uh, building a cool brand, but definitely doing something that, that has a positive impact. And I believe these cases are really important because they are kind of uh, like yeah, inspiring other people. They are very visible. It's more visible than some sort of crazy B2B solution that captures a lot of carbon, but people don't know about it. People still feel nothing is happening. And with Blue Farm, we are just very visible and uh, we are in many households. We, we enable customers every day to have a, a small impact, but together as a big community, we can actually have a big impact. Um, so I think that's one of the parts um, more product related, but also at the same time, we try to um, be active as a company. So right now we have a um, campaign going with PETA, with the animal welfare organization, uh, where we rescue uh, basically um, cows, um, give them a second life. Um, and yeah, they, they go to a, what's called Heimathof in, in Germany. So it's a very nice place where they can uh, just chill and have a good life. So for every hundred product that we sell, we take over one of these sponsorships. Um, that's also just one of the, the many ways how you can be active aside from your core business to have a positive impact. That's not climate related, that's animal welfare. But I think there's more, more issues that, than climate change, although that's probably the biggest right now and the one we want to focus on. But uh, there's still also a lot of other issues, social issues, uh, animal welfare issues. So if as a company we can have a tiny but positive impact, that's always great.
0: Is there something that you... Uh keep in mind that you would like to implement with scale? Like imagine your company grow in two, three years, Uh, you're big, you're in a lot of markets. Is there something uh, in terms of being impactful that you would love to do, but it's not the right time yet?
1: That's a good question. I think we haven't thought that big yet. (laughs) We're trying to work every day a little bit on moving forward. Um, We we always have this image in in our head that um, there's um i actually forgot the number there's 220 um billion liters uh, of milk sold um a year uh, globally and if you could just offset that impact um the climate impact by by going plant-based then uh, that's already such a big impact on a on a big industry like the food industry that's the goal we work towards but um yeah there's I will come back to that question in our <laughs> next chat. I think it's a good thing to, to
2: think about. You you told us a bit more about um, the the impact aspect of the product and your business activities, and uh, I'm very curious how it looks like a bit outside of the company when we look at various stakeholders that you have. You recently managed to close your financing round of of three million euros, and it'd be really interesting to know a bit more how impact is being perceived by, by an investors like, like yours?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's great what we've seen recently. There's been really an inflection point in the last few years where much more capital is flowing into the impact space. And also traditional investors that wouldn't have invested into impact companies two, three years ago are now pouring money into the space. Um, our investors are like the lead investor is Centinus Capital which is a um, pretty large food fund. They yeah, try to invest in um, modern food technology um, that, that is impactful and these guys um, really believe that it's, it's core to, to have a, a food and protein transition as, as soon as possible. Um, they come with a lot of like great background and network. Uh, the one of the general partners is, um, Olaf Koch, who was the CEO of Metro, large, um, retailer in, in Germany and Europe. Um, they can open many doors that we couldn't have opened before. So they really help us accelerate our growth. Um, then there's the family office of the Flensburger Brewery, which is a pretty large German brewery, um, that also pour more and more money into the impact space, which they might have not done a couple of years ago. So that's really great science. And uh, it feels like it's not too late. Um, Also in general, I think we we see uh, this year, the the topic is much more on the the radar again. Uh, I feel there was a bit of a slowdown during COVID because there were just other problems. Just before COVID 2019, there was this big movement starting and people got more and more aware. Um, of, of the industry and, and the challenges ahead. And there was a bit of a slowdown and this year it really picked up again, which is great considering everything else that's still going on um, around us. So yeah, that, that gives me a lot of hope in our cap table, all these investors um, that are really passionate about this challenge and the issues attached to it. Um, and they, they really proactively work um, towards combating these challenges.
2: I'm uh, not maybe not surprised, but it's really nice to hear what you say. I, I must say that from our personal experience, it's not always the case. Sometimes uh, the startups that we speak with, they just say, "Well, you, you're the first one asking you those, those kind of questions. Everyone else was just more more or less talking about numbers." So it's it's very nice to to hear that it's it's completely different in in your case, and especially coming from from the lead investor and I, and I assume like the the two major ones in in the in the last round. Um,
1: yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think what's great today, what we see is that now you can uh, build impact brands and also be profitable, which in the past was always a bit like you're an eco brand. It's You probably won't be as big as a non-eco brand that just focuses on growth. And today that, that works really hand in hand. But just to give you an idea, um, with one of our investors, we also have um, impact KPIs where we have to report every month how much CO2 we were offsetting. I think that's also something that you guys are um, implementing in your investments. So I think that's great to not lose focus. And if you make a business decision, always also think about how that might impact your impact KPIs. So that's definitely, a, but it's still probably too little. I think there's still much more that can be done, but it's at least a good step forward.
0: I think what uh, would definitely help to convince more investors that it's possible to combine impact in business are good examples of companies that succeeded. So no pressure there for Blue Farm. <laughs> People are looking at you. You have to prove something. Uh, fingers crossed you, you can make it.
2: I need to ask one more last question. I'm super curious how you see it, but... Um Back in the days like a few years ago I had this perception that German startups they struggle a bit with going international because the German market is relatively big you can be successful probably if you just stay in in this country you don't need to go elsewhere as opposed to uh like Sweden or Norway where we are much just much more just much uh, smaller Could you tell us a bit more how you see Blue Farm as a global brand in the future how do you how do you perceive like, how to how to expand internationally and uh, what are the steps to, to make it work?
1: Yeah, first of all, I fully agree. German brands usually struggle with going international because the market is big enough. And that's actually something we see as well. We said from day one, we want to be a global brand and we want to internationalize from day one. And then you start selling in Germany and you see it's growing and you still see there's so much to be done. So you put off the internationalization aspect more and more. Also because you know of the struggles attached to it, you lose focus and you might have yeah, too many challenges at the same time. But we still have this vision and next year we actually are going to get started. Um, so I hope when we speak again <laughs> next year we, we will be in other countries. Um, but you can tell in the DNA of um, Blue Form where just the name Blue Form, it's international, it works, I guess, almost everywhere in the world, the look and feel of the brand. We tried to make um, work internationally. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it's, I think, all about like finding, identifying the, the right markets and then finding also the right partners to enter into these markets, because Germany, the German market is very different from the U.S. market. On the surface, it might seem similar because, yes, you have health trends, you have similar Uh, nutritional trends but then when you get down to really the habits and the consumer preferences it is very different where just in the milk market for example americans drink more flavored drinks more creamers slightly sweeter products the packaging is different they don't care as much maybe about like compostable packaging at at this point in time and, and so on so When you really start looking into the markets, then you realize it's um, not as easy as it might seem to to enter these markets. At the same time, it's super important for us as a company and also our vision to be in as many markets as possible. So we also, we look at Asia right now, we we do our research, we look at different European markets, but Europe is tricky because it's so fragmented. Um, Like the South is different from the North and even here it's different from the Nordics um so yeah that's gonna be definitely a challenging time (laughs) internationalizing but we're super excited about it and yeah i think we can we can make it work
2: is there any one one thing or two things that that you find the most important to to find the right timing
1: timing is everything (laughs) timing is really we've seen it even with fundraising and everything We were super unlucky with fundraising. We fundraised the first time in the first lockdown, the second time in the second lockdown. uh, And then, yeah, now we closed during everything going on with Ukraine and inflation. So it definitely wasn't the best market timing. We still made it work, which makes us like more confident. Um, You didn't see many food rounds closing this summer. And that that really gave us um, a good push and, and made us confident to um, yeah, we like just push through and, 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 and grow. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely timing for internationalization. It shouldn't be too early because then you get distracted from your home market. Um, if you wait too long, you have copycats. So this is something we are kind of in a way sad about, but also proud about is that there's now more similar products on the market that are already copying us in a way uh, or have similar products. Um, which is cool because there's a new category <laughs> which is definitely sustainable, so we are not sad about it. It's kind of uh, not competitors, but mm-hmm. I, I heard the word the other day the first time: co-competition or something. So they, <laughs> you cooperate, uh, although you're competitors. <laughs> let's let's see it like that. Um, so that that's cool. But if we wait too long, for sure the ship has sailed. So um, timing is is very crucial.
0: Okay, fingers crossed, and congrats on the copycats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well
1: i guess thank you <laughs> i guess thank you <laughs> i like it
2: i like it Philip, thank you so much for for the conversation we spoke uh, about your product about your impact vision uh, business activities and marketing activities around uh, around impact as well how to engage the community how to decide if to go if if it's better to go online or through retail's retail um yeah and um I think you shed a lot of light uh, that it's uh, on, on those issues for for our audience i specifically like the uh, uh the details about the uh, different channels of d2c and and retail so thank you so much for sharing all the insights and be, with be for being with us today
1: yeah it was good fun thank you so much for inviting me and talk
2: soon thank you so much thank Philipp. you very much bye 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 ciao
0: Thank you guys for listening to this episode. If you want to stay up to date with impact startup scene and hear directly from startup founders and investors, sign up for Ragnarsson Invest newsletter at ragnarsson.com/ri or click the link in the description.